And so I'm so thankful that you are here. I want to welcome you to Relevant Faith Church. My name is Mike Wilmer. I am the lead pastor here at Relevant Faith. And, and so we're going to launch off a new series uh, this, this, this week. It's called Discover Your Story. And the whole point of discovering your story is to really jump into and dive into the dreams that God has given us. And, and sometimes there are dreams that God has given us that, when, that they, it's been a long time ago that we've gotten this dream. So there needs to be, there, there's a season I believe that people are in right now in their life where they need to dream again when they once dreamt before. Or they need to resurrect some dead dreams or they need to lay hold of what God's already called them to do and given them to do and and drive out any fear or anxiety or stress of what God's calling them to do to really walk in the fullness of their story. Because your story is very important to the kingdom of God and it's very important in God's story because he, he gave each one of us a story, each one of us a dream, each one of us a vision for our lives. And if we're not walking that out, then we really are just kind of floating around. And while floating in a river can be relaxing, you know, you get one of those big tubes and you sit on a chill river and you just relax and float. That's fine. But how many know the river's not always chill? Sometimes the river is rough and sometimes there's a current to that river. And the last thing you really want to be doing is just aimlessly floating when this current is taking you wherever it wants to go. You know, and so that's why it's so important to, to understand that, hey, God's called you in such a way, with such a purpose, and with such um, um, uniqueness that he wants you to walk it out. He wants you to dream big dreams for your life. And he wants you to have vision for where you're going and for what life looks like. That doesn't necessarily mean for our, all of our detailed planners. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to know what every single step of this plan is. But you just have to know that there is a plan and that there is this dream that God has given you. And so... And jumping into this, there's a couple of questions that I want to, to, to pose and, and, and begin to answer. And the first one is simply, what is vision? You know, when people, you hear that word a lot, and a lot of churches around this time of year are preaching vision because it's the beginning of a year, and, and so many churches are jumping on the bandwagon of 2020 vision and clarity, and uh, it's amazing because I have, I have a lot of friends on Facebook, and, and um, a lot of them are pastors of churches because, you know, that's, you, 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 birds of a feather, they flock together, right? It's a tribe that I'm a part of as pastors and church planters, and I'm not even kidding, hundreds of them are using 2020 vision as 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 their launching of 20 uh, 2020 and I don't I don't have any issue with that at all I've never just been a, a person to theme out a year but vision is important vision is one of these things that we need to have and we need to understand and so the other thing that we're going to talk about is what is what is a dream actually and so according to Webster's dictionary a dream is this strongly desired goal or a purpose and so I found a, a spoken word artist that I had never heard before, and he, and he shared his thoughts on dreams. So in just a second, the lights are going to black out, and the video is going to come on the screen. I want you just to pay attention. Listen to the words that this young man brings when it comes to dreams. Go ahead and turn your attention to the screen. Let's play a game. I see an abbreviation. You imagine it's meaning or purpose. DVR, DVD, GMC, CD, MP4, MP3, 
HSPD, PhD, BA, EMT, OMG. How about these? J-A-Y, J-O-E, J-O-H-N, J-A-N-E, M-A-R-K, K-A-T-E, D-A-V-E. See, all too often the issue is not failing to see meaning and purpose around me. It's failing to see the dream inside the person the mirror is reflecting. I'm accepting the dream in someone else, but accepting the dream inside myself. I can see purpose in the abbreviations, cars, buildings, and trees, but what is that worth if I can't see it in me? Perhaps you can relate with these opening lines, like you're the first to arrive at Disneyland, but end up feeling dizzy and last in line. See, once these lies were mine, I had a dream was my line. Then the pleasure was mine when hope whispered to me, waking me out of my sleep, untying the knot that came before the 2B, untying the N-O-T that came before the 2B. I have a tip for you. Don't dream to be someone. Dream because you are someone. Your dream doesn't make you significant, rather you give significance to your dream. Now take off the labels, then you realize the whole time you were able. Cause labels are fables, nothing but stickers with ink. You could choose to dream or not to dream, but one thing I know for sure is that she who has chosen to dream about nothing has always achieved it. He who chooses to dream about nothing will always achieve it. So let it go. Unfreeze your dream. It's always about building something and someone else, removing the limit. No one ever built a skyscraper so just one person can visit. Stop waiting for followers. This is an Instagram. Dreamers don't wait for an audience. They create one. And they don't really lose because they create one. W-O-N. To dream or not to dream. That's the question. To dream. That's my suggestion. I love the way he so creatively talked about dreams and the value of them. And one of the things that he said in that video that really struck a chord with me when I watched it the first time was that we can talk about what they, we see in other people and the value and the dream in other people, but we fail to see the dream in us. And so we, we think that, you know, I've, I've made a mess of my life or I've had such a struggling ro road and journey and path that, that is there still anything in me to actually dream again? And so my hope this, this, through this series is that we unleash the dreams that God has already put in you. And if you're one of those, those people who say, you know, I don't, I don't know what my dream is, or I don't know that I've really, really dreamt, then my, my prayer is that through this series, God unleashes the dreams inside of you, and he gives you a dream to dream. And so it's, it's really important to, to believe and to know that God has made you for things and something greater than what you're going through and experiencing today. And so even if things are great, even if you love the, 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 the passion, the path of your life and you have passion and you have energy and you love where you are, there's still more and there's still greater that God wants to do in you and ultimately through you. And so, and it doesn't make a difference what spectrum you are on life, whether you have come to Christ in the last six months or you've been serving him for the last 50 years, if you are in your 60s and 70s or you are in your teens and 20s or anywhere in between God has a dream and a vision for your life and so my hope is that through this series you you dream again you resurrect some dead dreams and and you begin to walk out this plan and this vision that God has for your life and ultimately discover your story 
You know, I talk, we talked about dreams and how power, powerful dreams are. Dreams have a way of compelling and changing nations and cultures. We've seen that happen in our own nation. We've seen it fuel movements. And, and when you think of, when anybody ever thinks of the word dream, almost one of the first thoughts that come to many minds is the speech that Martin Luther King Jr. gave when he said, I have a dream. At one day, and he would go on and he would share this dream, and his dream would ultimately lead to his death, but his dream would also lead to a movement in a nation. And so I believe that dreams have an ability to create movements. I, have a, a, I believe that dreams can be compelling that we were not put on this earth just to earn an income and pay our rent and pay our car bills and have just the friends that we have until the day that we take our last breath, but I believe that we were put on this earth to accomplish something great. Every one of us, regardless of education level, regardless of age, regardless of race, regardless of differences, regardless of anything that we have done in our lives to try to ruin that path, I believe that we're put on this earth to do something great. And so we asked, I asked the question of what is vision? Well, according to Habakkuk chapter 2, vision is, this is a divine communication from God. So we have a dream that is a desired goal or a purpose, and a, but a vision is a divine communication from God. It literally means to see or to have revelation. That's why it's such an important thing for our lives is to have vision and to know where we're going. And for, for the beginning of this message, I'm going to pull out a very popular passage of scripture, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach it for a moment and read it to you in context because it's one of the most popular taken out of context passages of scripture. And it's found in Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to start in verse number 10. Jeremiah 29, verse number 10. The Bible says, this is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. I'm going to stop there for just a moment. You can stop there with me, Nick. But so we have the people of Israel in this, in this story who have been exiled to Babylon. They have been captive in Babylon. They have been held captive in a nation that was not their own, all while having this promise from God that he is going to Bless them with a promised land, a land that they filled with fruit and fruit and honey. They just glorious land is theirs, but they're held in exile. He said, "This belongs to you. All this belongs to you." It was their vision. It was their dream for their culture and for their nation. And he says, "It is yours." Yet here they find themselves in exile and captivity. And he's telling them. Just because you are caught in, your, in captivity at this moment doesn't mean that I am finished. It doesn't mean that your story is finished. It means that there's something for you to learn and to experience in this time. And could you imagine if that was you? You're on the cusp of having this dream and this vision and this passion for what you want to see happen. And he tells you that for 70 years you're going to be stuck in that place. He goes on to say, he goes on to say in uh, verse number 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. So here we have the children of Israel stuck in exile. They're captive in Babylon. 
And he's telling them, I have plans for you. They're not for disaster. Could you imagine that? I mean, if you are stuck in a place where you, have, you don't have the freedom that you once had, you don't have the favor of God in your life day to day that you once had, but yet the prophet will tell you that God has said, my plans aren't to destroy you. So I think so many times in our lives we find ourselves in our situations where we think you hear a word like that and it's almost like, yeah, whatever. Do you know where I am in my life right now? Do you know the struggle of my life? Do you know the depression that I face, the anxiety that I face every day? Do you know that I have no idea how to make ends meet right now, that I have no job? Do you know that I'm, my health is failing? You could, you could put any number of things on that list. And it would cause you to doubt this plan that God so, who loves you so much, has for you. But he goes on to say, there are plans for good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope. Verse 12, in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And then in verse 14, he says, I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I will bring you home again to your own land. And that, that, I, I, I struggle when I hear people quote Jeremiah 29.11 and forget the rest of it. Because 29.11 by itself brings a false hope. But when you add 10 to say, hey, I'm God and I understand that you're in captivity. But let me tell you, I have a plan for you. It's not for harm. It's for good. It's for your future. Not only that, that when you speak to me, I'm going to listen. I'm going to be here. Even though it may not seem like it. And even though you might feel like you're stuck, I'm going to be here when you speak to me. I'm going to listen. And then there's going to come a day that I am going to restore everything back to you that you have lost. Matter of fact, I'm not only going to restore what you have lost, I'm going to give you greater than what you ever had in the first place. This is a dream. This is vision from God for his people. I believe God definitely and very distinctively has a plan for each one of us. And sometimes, like I said, it's challenging to see that plan even take shape or form because of the struggles or challenges in our lives and the things that we face, and oftentimes by the choices that we have made, right? I mean, there's things that happen to us, no doubt. There are things that happen to us that we did not create, that we did not design, that we did not desire, and they happen to us. But more often than not, it's our own choices and our own issues that we have made and decisions that we have made that really hold us back the most. And so that's why moments like we just had in worship, when you have the opportunity to lay that at the foot of the cross, are important to actually take a hold of that opportunity and lay that at the foot of the cross because you don't know what's coming next. I love the way God orchestrates worship, and I love the way he orchestrates everything because that moment of worship, when you have the ability to lay something at the foot of the cross, it comes by prayer and it comes by fasting and by sacrifice. And then because you're praying and because you're fasting and because you're sacrificing, you're going to hear more from God in this season of your life than any other season that you've had. Because that's just what happens. As a matter of fact, indulge me for a moment while I pull up my Bible app. We um, in, engaged in a, in a Bible plan through 21 days of fasting called Open Heaven 
and I loved it because it talks about so many different things that, um, that I've been mentioning and talking about leading up to our time of prayer and fasting. And yesterday's, yesterday's reading said this in the, in the devotion. It says, when we obey, we enjoy deeper intimacy and a closer walk with him. We can hear his voice more clearly know our identity as children of God, and step boldly into the plans he has for us. When we obey, that obedience can be anything and everything from God's called us to pray and called us to fast. It can be relationships that God's calling you to let go of. It can be struggles and challenges in your heart that he's saying, hey, my, the, Jesus said my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you're carrying a burden you weren't meant to carry. So why don't you do me a favor and just kind of lay that at the foot of my cross so I can carry that for you. That obedience is what causes us to be able to more clearly hear from God. I don't know about you, but I've tried to hear from God in moments when I've not been really obedient. I've kind of been living life, loving the Lord and serving God and, and tithing and giving and preaching and praying and, and reading. But there's something that is holding me back. There's something that he said, hey, I need you to let go of or something that he says, I need you to do this. And I haven't quite walked out the way that he wanted. And then I, then I wonder... Why am I not hearing from God the way I, I should be? And there's oftentimes that little piece, that little obedience piece that, you know, it's, the Bible says that obedience is greater than sacrifice. So while I might be sacrificing my food and what I want to enjoy to eat, I may not experience the fullness of what God wants to do or even clearly hear from him because I'm missing something in obedience. And it's when we can connect all of these things together that we really can walk in, in the story that God has laid out and understand the dreams that he has for our lives. I can promise you this is a great message and this is a message that can set you free and can empower you to live and to dream and to have vision. But if you're not willing to sacrifice and you're not willing to deal with that dirty, rotten, nasty, ugly word called obedience then you're not going to be able to dream again. You're not going to be able to have clarity and vision of what God wants for your life. I wish that it were, I, for, you, for, for, for many people's sake, I do. I wish it worked differently, but it really doesn't. You can't separate obedience from clearly hearing from God. It will be perhaps, I think, the number one thing that will cloud your ears. You ever, you ever have that, you ever have like something going on in your head, some kind of sinus infection or something, you just can't hear very clearly. Everything seems cloudy inside of your ears and, 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 the, and the words are muffled and the sound is, is dampened and it's like, oh, you just feel nasty. That's literally spiritually what you're doing to yourself when we fail to be obedient to God. We're creating this muck and this nasty inside of our ears and we can't hear from God clearly. And so I believe that God wants, God has vision and dream for your life, and he wants to communicate it very clearly, but we need to position ourselves to, to hear from him. Now, you got to think, during that time of cap captivity, and for the Israelites, there had to be some uncertainty that was going on. I believe that vision and dreams and uncertainty are inseparable. They are forever linked. Wherever there is a dream, wherever there is a vision, there is going to be uncertainty. It's how do we live and how do we act and what do we do in the middle of that uncertainty that will define what we do inside of the dream and the vision that God has for our life. 
And so there are some things that I'm going to talk to you about when it comes specifically to dreams and the things that break, th- break these dreams down until you find yourself in a position where, yeah, I had a dream. Like he mentioned in the video, I had a dream. And so there's a few things I'm going to give you. We're going to, in a moment, we're going to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to look at a different perspective of a very, very famous and popular story. But there are a few things I'm going to give you there in your notes for you to keep track with if you, if you, if you like. I also put in some blanks for you to take some notes in each one of these sections that we're going to talk about this morning. But I believe in order for us to truly dream and to truly hear from God with clarity as to what he wants with our lives, there's, we have to do a few things. And one of the things, the first thing I'm going to talk to you about a little bit is you're going to have to shut down the dream killers. That's the first, that first part of your notes is you have to shut down the dream killers because here's the reality. Every time you have a vision, every time you have a dream, you're, there is going to be an enemy trying to steal this dream or this vision from you. That's the reality of life. You're going, there's going to be an enemy, and the enemy is going to use, guess who he likes to use? He likes to use people. The same way as God's plan to usher in his presence through his people, it's the enemy's plan to disrupt his presence in your life through his people. And so there are some folks in your life that, for the lack of a better phrase, they got to go. They can't be a voice in your ear. You've got to shut down these dream killers, because whenever God gives you a a vision, there's going to be a thief. The Bible says that defines the devil that way. He says the thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So wherever there is a dream, wherever there is a purpose, wherever there is a plan, there's also a thief. And we have to be on guard and on lookout for this thief. I'll tell you a really quick relevant story. When, When God called me to plant this church, I struggled mightily in doing it because I was very comfortable with where I was. I was very good at what I was doing. God, we had tremendous momentum. God was doing unbelievable things. And so I was like, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm cool. I'm, I'm good where I'm at. And God was like, well, I'm not good where you're at. There's some things I need for you to do. And so when I finally, when I finally gave myself over to doing them and, and fully followed the Lord and, and, and I, could, I could then hear clearly and I remember moving to the city of Peoria. My goal was to meet as many people as possible. Pastors, leaders, I wanted to hear their viewpoint on, this, on, on the city of Peoria. And I remember meeting with one. And I remember him saying two distinct things to me. I had this dream, I had this vision of a church, a multi-ethnic church that would gather together with every race and every tribe and every tongue, that they would come together and worship God together. And I remember him saying very clearly, that's a way you're wasting your time. That can't happen here in this city. Yes, different races and different upbringings and different nationalities and different religious upbringings, they'll work together and they'll play sports together and they'll eat in the same restaurants and all that stuff. There's not this segregation of, of race and, 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 and religious upbringing. However, they will not worship together. And I was like, that's bogus. And so, because God wired me the way that he wired me, all that did was empower me. Because I'm going to do it because you said I can't. Anybody ever be that person? Let me tell you, that can get you in trouble. 
It got me in a lot of trouble in my younger years. But sometimes that mentality can also be one of the most freeing and liberating mentalities. Oh, you say that I can't. I'm going to work a little bit harder to show you that I can. And so I remember that clearly, and he literally said, you should just go back to where you came from because you're wasting your time. I was like, wow. This is, this is a dream killer. This is, the, this is the devil trying to steal He's a thief. He's trying to steal what God deposited in me. And here's what happens. When you, when you deal with these people, when you face these people, you begin to doubt. Well, did God really say that? Then I started to question. If, even just for a brief moment, I said, did God really tell me to build this church this way? Did he really tell me to, to love everyone regardless of where they come from, what they believe, or what they think. Did he really tell me to do that? Did he really say build a multi-ethnic church? Did he really say invite all different religious upbringings into the body of Christ and worship together? Did he really say that? I mean, after all, what good? why would I have any qualifications to do anything? See what I'm saying? This is the road we take. This is the path we take. This is the way we begin to think. And then in that same moment, I was like, no, 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 no wait a minute. I know God. I know his voice. This is what he said. This guy in front of me is just an idiot. Or my favorite word. I don't like to use idiot very often. I use the word moron. That's a good northeastern New York word to use. It is. It's what we say. It's what we call everyone for everything. So, but that was my, that was my, uh, my flesh saying, uh-huh, let's go. I'm doing this now. But here's the, here's the challenge in that. Now, if I follow and fall too far into my flesh, it's going to become an I'm doing this now. Rather than, no, wait a minute, God spoke it, God's doing this. He's just using me. Well, a story in Scripture, we have this king, not yet king, but would-be king named David. And he had a thief in his life as a young shepherd boy. And it was his oldest brother, Eliab. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. Starting in verse number 28, this is what the Bible says. This is going to sound familiar maybe to some, not because of the word of God, but maybe because of somebody else might have said to you in your life. Verse 28, but when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. So his, his brother, his oldest brother, Eliab, even minimizes who he is as a person. Those few little sheep that you have over there. Why don't you go take care of those few little sheep over there? This is too much for you. This is man work over here. You're just a 14-year-old little ruddy shepherd boy. Why don't you go take care of those few sheep that you have over in that, in that thing? Oh, I, I get it. You have pride in you. You have deceit in you. You, have, you just want to watch the battle. You, just, you got this morbid curiosity and just want to see what the, the grown folks are doing. Anybody ever heard anything like that from anybody? Or they've dismissed you because maybe you just don't think the way they think or look the way they look or maybe have the skill set or the talent that they think they have? They just kind of dismiss you. David had this in his oldest brother. It sounds like an older brother. Anybody in, who has an older brother in this place? I don't have an older brother. I am the oldest. But who has an older brother, right? Does that not sound like an older brother? You're just a pipsqueak. I mean, I know, you're, I know you're conceited and wicked and whatever, but you, just, you came down just to watch because you, you can't get involved in this. You're not big enough. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. Why don't you just go back home and hang out with those few little sheep that you like to play with? Doesn't that sound like an older brother? 
Sounds like a mean older brother. Right? And so we have David hearing this from his older brother, whom, if you, if, if you know how that works, the younger siblings look up to the older brother, even if the older brother's an idiot. Even if he's mean and even if he's rude, right? They look up to the older brother. I mean, younger siblings to an older brother are a lot like dogs to their owners. You can smack a dog in the face and they're going to come right back to you. You can. You can mistreat a dog and a dog will come right back to your feet. Older siblings can mistreat younger siblings and they will still come right back to them. Because there's this dynamic of this older sibling, this I'm looking up to you thing. And that's what David had going on. And so Eliab was David's thief. He was his dream killer. He came to steal the vision that God had given him. He came to to minimize who he was, to call him a pipsqueak. I mean, he simply, and this is the funny thing, this is the cool, cool thing about David, and this is, the, this is the reaction that I want us to adopt into our own lives. David's response to Eliab, was when Eliab's pretty much trash-talking David, trying to destroy his vision, isn't to fight fire with fire. As a matter of fact, his response is just he turned and started talking to someone else. He's like, okay, yeah, I hear you over here, but yeah. I'm not, I'm not giving in to anything that you have to say. I'm going to start talking to someone else. And see, this is, this is where we mess up. Many of us respond in one of a few ways to challenges that we face from especially thieves and killers of our dream. We'll say, okay, you know what, Eliab? Let's go. You got words? Come on. Let's go. Let's throw some hands right now. Let's go. Come on. And that's, that's what we want to do, right? Someone rises up against us. They say something about us. And the first instinct is what? Dig our heels, stand our ground, throw fists. Let's go. You got something to say? Let's go. Aren't you, or, or this. How about you say it to my face? That's the most popular thing to start a fight. Oh, you got something to say? Why don't you say it to my face? That's one response and probably one of the most popular responses. Or we'll say, you know what, maybe you're right. Why would God want to use me in a big way? I mean, I am just a shepherd boy. I am just a... You fill in whatever your blank is that you, that, that you have believed the lie about yourself or who you are. Or oftentimes we say, I've got to chase down this Iliab and I've got to change them. You know, I've got I to tweak them. I'm going to have a few meetings with them. I'm going to sit down and talk with them and, and I'm going to change their mind. They're going to see the vision. Yeah, they're not. First-hand experience, I have chased down many who didn't agree with me and didn't share the vision that I had. I had chased them down, and I sat down with them, and I bought them lunch, and I have bought them coffee, and I've tried to convince them of what God is doing, and, and they get up and walk away no different than when they sat down. Because that's just life. There are Iliabs in our lives that you cannot change the way they think. Instead, our response ought to be like David's and say, cool. Let me go talk to this person. And I realized not everyone is going to embrace and love the dream that God has given me, but some will. Someone will. Someone will partner with us. Someone will walk with me. Someone will embrace what God wants to do. And that's someone who's bringing life to your dream, not like someone who's trying to steal it or kill it. Life is too short for that. I'm not saying you got to be mean or ugly to them because no, because God's called us to love one another. And you can't love, you cannot, and please get this phrase out of your vocabulary because it does not work. God said I have to love you, but I ain't got to like you. 
That's not how that works. All you're doing is saying, I don't love you. It's really what you're saying. Now, loving someone and giving them your time, they're different things. I can love someone and be there for someone. It doesn't make a difference who it has been in my life. If they, no matter how much they've hurt me, I'm going to make an effort to be there for them when they, if, if and when they need me. That's the way that I'm wired. But I'm not going to actively seek out their opinion for the dream and the vision that God has given me because I already know what that is. I'm a pipsqueak who's not worth it. So I don't, I don't need that any longer. So there's a difference. You don't treat them ugly. You don't dismiss them and go on your Facebook. And this is what I love. People do this all the time. There are some folks in my life that I'm just saying bye to you. And if you, if you find yourself deleted from my friends and then know I said bye to you, let me be passive aggressive about my hate towards you. Bye, Felicia. That's what we do on Facebook. Bye, Felicia. You don't even got to do that. It's real simple. You're faced with this. Oh, you know, let me just talk to this person over here. Let that person just stand there and talk to the wall. Engage yourself with people who walk with you, who encourage you, who build you up, who mentor you, who help walk, who help walk out this journey with you. Now, don't confuse the discipline that they might bring for being a hater in your life. Because people don't like that. That's a whole other message. I ain't got time to get into that. But we have to shut down dream killers. Number two, you have to recognize your resources. We have to, you have to recognize your resources. They're personal. They're specific for you. My resources won't work for you because they're my resources. Your resources won't work for me. Great visionaries in life have this ability to recognize the resources that are at their disposal. God always puts resources in your vision right before us. And so if we, if we hear our vision and see our vision from God, then we can discern what he's given us to accomplish that vision. And if David hadn't been walking with God, he could not have understood how to really use the sling that God had given him. He wouldn't have picked up the five stones if he hadn't been walking with God and understood what his resources were. Instead, he would have probably put on Saul's armor. And, but because he has this discernment, God provided resources to carry out his vision. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 38 and 39. When David finally convinced them that God's called me to slay this giant, this is what happens. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. Then he responds, I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. David was given someone else's resources, someone else's armor and, and, and sword to fight a battle that God called him to fight in a specific way. You can't fight the battle the way that I fight the battle because that's my resource, the way God has wired me and created me to dream and how he created me to follow my dream. If you try to follow your dream the way I follow my dream, you're going to be in trouble. Because could you imagine David, this teenage shepherd boy, considered a pipsqueak and ruddy, which has to mean he's not so big in stature, 
putting on all this armor from a king who is described in Scripture as being a strapping and strong man, King Saul. He's described that way. Can you imagine this ruddy teenage boy putting on this coat of armor, this bronze helmet, this sword that's probably as big as he is. It's probably one of these things he's got to stretch all the way up here to get it out of its sheath. And then going and facing Goliath. It would be a battle he would lose instantly. See, here's what we do. We look at other people. We look at what they have. We look at the way they fight. We look at all they have to offer and say, I want to be like that. And then say, let me do what they do. I have friends that have literally mimicked other preachers. I want to preach like the Bishop T.D. Jakes. and He's a phenomenal preacher of the Word of God. And I mean, and I've got friends, they would, they would, Get that step like he's got. And I'm like, dude, that's not even you. Just be you. Use the resources God has given you. You are the best you ever created. Don't try to be someone else. Don't try to be me. Don't try to be the bishop. Don't try to be your neighbor. Don't try to be your mom or your dad. Be you. Use the resources that God gave you. You're not only measured by what you do, but you're also measured in life by what you don't do. So when it comes to chasing the dreams and the visions that God has for your life, you have to be able to recognize these resources. And if you're not regularly eliminating things from your life, then your life will be too cluttered. Anybody ever say, I'm too busy to spend time with God? Anybody ever say that? I'm too busy to pray more than five minutes a day. People say, well, you got, you know what? People preach, and I've said it, got to start somewhere. Start with five minutes with God. Start with ten minutes with God. And there's nothing wrong with starting there. But if you're still there, then we got problems. It means life is too cluttered. If you can't find, if you literally cannot find 30, 40, or 50, or even an hour to spend time with God, your life is too cluttered. And that might sound dogmatic of me, but it's true. I mean, if you can't find that kind of time to really hear from God, here's what you're expecting. You're expecting McDonald's version of Jesus. You drive to the drive-thru, you place your order, you hit the window, you pay for your order, you hit the next window, you get your order, and out you go, and you're stuffing your face with the most nastiest burger ever created. And we, want, we expect that to be God. Okay, God, I got 10 minutes between this and this. Go. And we wonder why we don't hear anything. We wonder why... Our dreams and our visions for our life are not coming to pass. Yes, that's a great place to start, but if you're still 10 minutes with God a year or two years into your faith walk with Jesus, then you're having some issues. you got to declutter your life. David could not fight that battle carrying that armor. It was too much. He had to shed it and say, just give me my five stones and my sling. I'll take care of this. You know, as if you are regularly eliminating things from your life, if you're regularly doing it, you will regularly be able to hear from God. You'll regularly see the opportunities he has in front of you. Whether you're a mom or a dad, a husband, or a wife, a CEO, a teacher, a coach, a player, a student, doesn't make a difference who you are or where you are in that spectrum. Everyone has things they need to eliminate from their lives and prioritize things as being important. It's important, parents, let me talk to you for a moment, to teach your children this. 
I have children who love the activities they do. I have a son who's a, who's a basketball player, and he's a lover of the game, and he plays all the time, and he's actually quite good at the game, and, it's, and he's, he wants to just dedicate everything to that. But we make sure that he's staying on top of doing devotions and spending time with God. There's a retreat that, so here's, here's a big one. There's a retreat that they have, the Assemblies of God, is where I'm credentialed, they have a retreat for pastor's kids, because pastor's kids, that's a difficult life. They have to live a life they weren't asked to live. And so the denomination that I'm a part of sees that and says, we want to we honor them and we want to pour into them. We want to love them and we want to have a weekend just for them. That's this coming, this next weekend. My son's got a basketball game on Saturday. He's going away for that retreat. He may, he hasn't really communicated a whole lot of how he feels about it. I think because he knows I'm going. But I can see his maturity now. Two years ago, this would have been a fit. Last year, it probably would have been a fit. But his maturity is like, yeah, okay. That's what we're going to do. And he will go. He'll have a blast. God will pour into him, and it will be an amazing trip for him spiritually. Because that is more important than the basketball court. Spending time with God is more important than anything else you have going on in your life. And this is coming from someone who's got a pretty busy life. So you've got to declutter. You've got to be able to remove things from your life. We've got to be able to say, I can't walk with that. David said, I can't, I can't fight with this. I've not tested that. I don't know how this works. Just take it off. The Bible says in Ephesians that the only thing that we need to put on is the full armor of God. That's a whole other series that I, I, I plan on preaching sometime. But here's what you have to realize. God does not dress you. You have to dress you. You're not three years old, two years old, a year old, where mommy or daddy put your clothes on. You've got to dress yourself for battle. And you dress yourself in the resources that God is giving you. Clothe yourself in what he gives you. Clothe yourself in humility. Clothe, just clothe yourself in righteousness. That's how you get dressed. Read through Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 11 and, and following and, and learn how to get dressed. Every day, you're a big boy. We're big boys and girls. We dress ourselves. Clothes might be picked out by our wives, but we dress ourselves. Third thing I want to share with you as my time is running out. You've got to you got to shut down the dream killers. You have to recognize your resources. And finally, you have to value the victories. Value the victories. And to make this point, we're going to look at the same story, verse 34 through 36. When David was trying to convince Saul that he was the one that God called to do this work, when David was, was trying to compel Saul, let me do this, this is what David said. The Bible says in verse 34, David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. That is a bad man. You going to grab a bear by the jaw and club it together? Not even shoot it. You're going to club it to death. 
a lion with a lamb in his mouth. He, I'm going to go to that lion. I'm going to open up his mouth. I'm going to take that, lion, that lamb out, and then I'm going to beat him to death with a club. That is a bad man. He said, I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. I tell you what, that's a 14-year-old I ain't messing with. I ain't playing with that kid. Uh-uh. Someone who said, I've done this to a lion, I've done this to a bear, and I'm going to do it to that giant too. It's not an ego thing. It was a, it was a I'm, he had already had victory. God had given him victory over the lion and over the bear that he's like, why wouldn't he give me victory over this? He, he knew, he valued the victory that he already had. And because he had already had victory, he knew what God would do. You have to value the victory in your life. It might not be the big win that you're looking for, but God's done something in your life. He's given you victory in your life. We minimize it instead of valuing it and lifting it up. You're able to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish because you've already seen victory. And if you need the cliched passage of Scripture for it, then just, just, just believe because the Spirit of God that raised Christ from the grave is the same Spirit that lives within you and I. And if He can raise Jesus from the grave, guess what He can do with you? That's the cliche answer for you to believe in the victory that God already has. He's already won the battle. All you have to do is use the resources that He's given you to walk out His battle, His victory, His journey. Because your story fits inside of God's story. And if your story fits inside of God's story, then you've already won in your story. Flip to the back of the book, folks. Jesus wins. When it's all said and done, he wins. The devil is cast into the lake of fire. He wins. And if he wins, you win. you got to remember the victories. Whenever you have a great, here's what I love. Some people don't necessarily subscribe to this. I do, not necessarily as a Understand where I'm coming with this. I'm not talking about this as being an idol or something to worship. But whenever you win a victory, keep something as a memento of that victory. It doesn't necessarily have to be a statue or something, but there's something that symbolizes this victory. Maybe it's a note that's inside of your Bible, or maybe it's this, 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 this little pebble or stone that reminds you of something, or maybe it's a key that reminds you of some, something that's a memento of a victory because you can use that to remember, because that's all it's about, is remembering, hey, God's given me victory. Because here's what happens. We forget things. Years and years and years of serving the Lord, I forget things. I look back on some of the things he did when I was in my mid to late 20s and say, I don't remember those things in my 40s. I barely remember what I ate for dinner yesterday. Although I do remember what I ate for dinner yesterday because it was so delicious. But that's the thing. We we forget what God has done, and because we forget what God has done, then we don't think that he's going to be able to do it again because we, didn't re we don't remember what he's done. So whatever it is you can do to remember and recall what God has done and how he has given you victory, it gives you a strength. It gives you a, a power. It gives you a confidence to look past the things that you doubt. You can use it in those times of testing to know, hey, God's going to bring me through. Believe it or not, that's what David did. After David's shot with the rock hit Goliath in the head, and what I can only imagine is a big old gigantic forehead. After the rock hits his head and the, the, the giant Goliath falls down, look at what David did. The first thing he did was he cut dude's head off with his own sword. 
he went over to him and cut his head off. And then look what it says in verse 54, 1 Samuel 17, 54. David took the Philistine's head to Jerusalem. He carried dude's head to Jerusalem. But look what it says. But he stored the man's armor in his own tent. David took Goliath's armor and kept it with him. I'm certain to look at and say, "Uh uh-huh, God gave me victory. Matter of fact, most people, most theologians believe his sword and likely his armor were kept in the temple after that as a reminder that God gives victory. He said he put the Philistine's weapon in his own tent. He placed Goliath's weapon, his armor, in his own dwelling place. That's what the tent was. It wasn't like he was camping. This was his dwelling. This is where he lived. And I'm, I'm certain if I can take some liberties that Scripture may not necessarily exactly say, I'm sure that he used those weapons as things to give him strength during the dark valleys that he would face in his future. You know, David was seen as a man after God's own heart, but he was also the one who committed adultery. He's also the one who committed murder. He's also the one who God established the lineage of Christ through. So don't even think for a moment that anything you've done in your life disqualifies you for the greatness that God has for you. It doesn't. He's got, there's hundreds of illustrations of people in Scripture who did not start in the best place. Paul, who killed Christians. David, who killed people, husbands of women he wanted. That just makes it even more soap opera. Late night television. David killed the man of the woman he wanted to be with. And he's also the lineage of Christ. There are dreams and visions that God has given you. And there are dreams and visions that God wants to give you. But in order to walk this out, you've got, there's people in your life, there's, there's thieves in your life that got to go. There's got to be a recognition that God has resourced you to do this his way. And you've got to realize that you've got victory along the way. So worship team, come and get set. I'm going to let, let's say one last thing as we live this out. I've only got one thought, one idea, one point when it comes to vision that I want you to jot down and maybe take a note or two on. The only thing that I can think of to make this whole thing practical is very simply this. Live the vision. Live the vision. Because let me tell you, vision is contagious. How many of you have gotten sick this year? Sickness has gone through your home. It's run through my home. It's contagious. You always hear, this is your fault. Am I, am I the only one that hears that? Okay, because I hear that. This is your, it's your fault I'm sick. Because why? Because sickness is contagious. Get around someone, they cough on you, they sneeze on you, or your kid goes to daycare or school. They're contagious. Vision is contagious. Because once you get vision like David did, there's no telling 
where that vision will lead you. There's no telling who will follow, and there's no telling what might happen in the, in the area of your journey when you get a hold of vision and you walk it out. Look what happens. Look what happens in the story that we're talking about in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse number 52. The Bible says, this is once David has killed Goliath. This is what the Bible says. Then the men of Israel and Judah have a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road from Sharam as far as Gath and Ekron. What happened? They saw David, this ruddy little boy, slay the greatest giant in the land, walk out the vision and the dream that God has for his life, and it empowered them to then chase the very Philistines they were scared of five minutes before that. They were scared to death of that army. They wanted nothing to do with that army. They weren't even, they were not even half the size of that army. And when they saw that, what did they do? They got all Mel Gibson on them. In Braveheart, war paint, screaming with triumph, screaming in victory, and then they chased them down and killed them all. David had no idea when he received this vision from God in this obscure place with this obscure prophet who would say, This is the one I've chosen. This is the one that God's chosen, that it would go public and have a huge effect on the hearts and lives of everyone around them. That's what happens with vision. Vision is contagious. And people catch it. You can't teach people to have vision. They catch it. You can't teach a fire how to spread. It just spreads. He had no idea that it would do that, but it did. If God gives you a vision for your life and you understand it and you know it, then there's no telling how God will multiply that vision. Because God multiplies, multiplies vision. He does it relationally. He does it corporately. He does it emotionally. He does it intellectually. This vision is contagious. It multiplies. People will, there will be people in your life that may not necessarily walk side by side with you, but man, they've lent you their experience. They've lent you their ideas and their passion to help guide you. I have people like that. They're not even in this church. They've never been in this church. Matter of fact, one or two of them have never set foot in this church, but they have had a profound impact on everyone in this church. Because vision is contagious. When people know you have it, it empowers them to live that way. Can you imagine what this world might look like if we actually bought into the idea that God has a dream for our lives and that we walked it out? Could you imagine what your home would look like, what your family would look like, what your job would look like, what this church would look like, what this city would look like? Can you imagine if one person could cause an entire army to chase after an army twice their size, what could 10 or 15 or 20 people in a church in the United States of America do for the city they live in? When Saul and the Israelites looked at the battle situation, they saw everything from an external point of view. Too many soldiers, too vast, too big too strong. 
They saw what they couldn't do. They never saw what they could do. They saw Goliath, this undefeated giant of a warrior. David didn't see that. All David saw was a lion that he had already killed, a bear that he had already rescued a sheep from and then clubbed. That's all David saw. The only difference between that army and David is David had a vision. David had a dream that God gave him. That's the kind of people God needs. God needs Davids. People willing to just take the vision that God has given them and run them, run with it. The Bible says in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2, it says, lay the vision out plainly for all to see so that he who sees it can then run with it. If you've got vision in your heart, you've got dreams in your life, speak about them. Write them down. Put them somewhere where you know that this is the path you're taking. This is where you're leading. Maybe it's your, see, God has dreams for you, but he has dreams for your kids as well. Don't dream for your kids. Let your kids dream for them, but dream for you. Dream all that God wants, because here's, let me tell you something. Your identity and your dreams and your visions are not wrapped up in your children. Don't get me wrong. It's great to dream for my kids. I have dreams and hopes for my kids, but ultimately that's God's responsibility. God's job is to give them dreams. God's job is to give them vision. My job is to help lead and guide them and walk out my own dream and my own vision and my own journey. Develop my own story within God's story. Don't say, oh yeah, it's such a noble thing to say. My dreams are for my children. To, ah, that's great. What are your dreams for you? What is your vision that God has given you for you? This can be the year that changes your life if you want it to be.